Episode 17 Alfred pulled him over to where they had a clear view of the reception desk and much of the lobby through the defunct automatic doors. A frantic man was remonstrating with a harassed-looking nurse and gesturing at a little girl lying in a wheelbarrow clutching her stomach. Behind him, a woman was trying to simultaneously comfort a small boy, wailing with pain from second-degree burns on his face, and make demands of a doctor who had emerged from a room only to be caught in the crossfire of patients demanding immediate attention. The stabbed man was supported into the lobby, and his friends pushed past the wheelbarrow. They were in turn pushed past by a healthy but terrified-looking man who gestured frantically, along with several other equally healthy but no less terrified-looking people. A woman was pressing a blood-soaked shirt to the wrist of a teenage girl, while a man, who must have been the father, cast about for someone who could help. Martin and Alfred heard snippets of conversation, wafting through the open doors. Going to rupture. I'm sorry, there are no... Can't you see how much blood she's lost? Stab three times. Available surgeons, but... Heart attack, I need someone to... I don't care, just give him... What is that man doing, and him, and her? Martin asked. They look fine, and there's no patient with them. People who have someone seriously ill whom they can't drive here, I imagine, Alfred said. There's so many of them, Martin said. We've seen enough. Let's go. Not yet. One more minute, Alfred said. Patient and... Pharmacies run out and... Doing our best. Fuck patients! My son's dying! He needs a doctor now! Needs a respirator now! I'm sorry, but without power... Only takes you two minutes to write a prescription. Can't spare the staff to visit people's homes because... Too weak to be brought to hospital. Priority is being given to Covid patients in critical condition. So you're just going to let him bleed out? Just ten minutes. The corner doctor assessed the situation with one desperate sweep of the desperate, strode over to the nurse at the reception desk and said something to her urgently. He then looked around quickly, evidently looking for the combination of most urgent case and least medical attention required. He gestured to the parents of the girl with the slit wrist and left with them, ignoring the protestations of the people who had arrived before her. Some of the most desperate people followed him, the nurse tried to raise her voice over the hubbub. Failed. Tried again. No luck. Too much desperation for them to pay her any heed. In desperation herself, she finally lifted her desk chair and brought it crashing down on the floor and shouted, SHUT UP! as loud as she could. Which was not very loud, but together with the crashing chair it served its purpose. She seized the two seconds of stunned silence and said, Listen everyone, we want to help everybody, but as you can see, we are out of staff, supplies and power. We cannot send staff to people's homes, so if your patient is not here, please go home and try to bring them in. Everyone else, be patient and we'll get to you as soon as we... That was as far as she got, before the tumult began again. Worse than ever, can't bring him in, telling me we should just let him die. Too weak to, sorry sir, but can't you see, too much blood. Alfred glanced at Martin, 
Martin had gone pale and was opening and closing his mouth. Now we've seen enough. Let's go home. Alfred said gently. Come on. Martin said nothing as they left the hospital behind and continued along the sporadically littered roads. He did not protest when a wild-haired woman wearing a tatty bathrobe with a vast quantity of makeup smeared over her face and with the cigarette clenched between her lips opened a window on the second floor and started projecting rubbish out into the road. After about 15 seconds of this she called behind her Here Harry, come and see this! Whereupon an eight-year-old, as scruffy as she was, appeared next to her. She took a bag of tins and plastic bottles and started pitching them through the smashed window of a stranded car. Her aim was remarkable, and she made three out of every four throws, to the delight of Harry, who begged for a turn himself. As Alfred and Martin moved out of earshot, they heard her say, You see? Who needs a phone to have fun? Martin said pointedly ahead the whole time. He was startled out of his reverie by a, Sir, is that you? He turned to face the speaker, a girl in her late teens. Her pleasure at seeing him was evident, and competed for a few seconds with a worried expression on her face. Martin's facial features executed a similar manoeuvre. Alice, it's good to see you. How are you? Are you coping all right? Ah, where are my manners? Alfred, this is Alice, one of my students. Alice, Alfred, my flatmate. Alfred gave a slight bow, recognising that this was not the time for small talk. Not too bad, Alice said. We have enough supplies for a few weeks, so we're all right. We can't get Grandad's medicine anywhere, but I'm sure we'll find some. I'm on my way to the hospital now to ask. It's chaos in there. I wouldn't recommend it, Martin said. That's bad news, but I have to try. You don't understand. There are people, Martin did not want to say, dying and worry Alice further. But it was probably better that she hear it from him than that she see it with her own eyes. Dying, Alfred read his mind as usual. The hospital staff are overwhelmed and can't even tend to the seriously injured or ill. I'm sorry. You could try biking to one of the small towns or villages nearby. Maybe their pharmacies haven't been closed or emptied yet. Worry won out over pleasure on Alice's face. I see. I have to try, otherwise Mum will make me come back. And how are you? Martin thought it best to change the subject. Well, I guess. It's super hard without my phone. It must sound pathetic to you, but I don't know what to do all day. I miss it so much. It's like a large part of life is suddenly missing. It's not only me, she said defensively, though Martin's expression had not changed. All the friends I've been able to talk to say the same thing. It's so, like, lonely. I keep wondering what everyone is doing. I find myself just wandering around the house. I can't concentrate on anything for longer than, like, ten minutes. Sounds like Bruce, Martin said. Another flatmate, Alfred explained. We have another flatmate who is never bored, Martin said. 
he always finds something to do painting writing poetry playing the guitar going into some kind of trance building something pulling pranks right now he's composing an epic poem on a scroll with a quill he's a bit crazy really anyway you could try doing stuff like that something creative he sounds fun you've no idea i'll tell you some stories next class you'll never believe it that'll be fun her eyes lit up only to be clouded by anxiety again do you think there'll be a next class of course there will they'll sort things out soon enough we just have to sit tight there it was again they his attempt to reassure her seemed to be working a bit she brightened i never thought i'd say this but i miss our classes i'll take that as a compliment martin grinned if school hadn't been online it would probably have continued when the power went out and now we'd have something to do i hadn't thought of it like that but you're probably right it's probably the same for everyone who worked online they would still have gone into work and fewer people would be feeling isolated right now that's how my friends and i feel isolated even when we do manage to meet up it's like it's harder to talk without our phones one of them is talking about committing suicide it's awful alfred and i were just talking about this the other day we were wondering how hard this must be for teenagers without their phones you have no idea the pandemic was already hard enough we started using our phones a lot more then and many of my friends got quite depressed i know a few people who are never the same afterwards then it started all over again the pandemic the lockdowns and now this it's just too much anyway enough of my complaints maybe the school will get in touch and set something up then you'll have something to do have you heard from them not yet well i won't keep you and your mother waiting though you won't like what you see at the hospital goodbye alice and see you soon see you soon sir she likes you alfred said as they moved on what martin was sinking back into his reverie she likes you she misses your classes she's an appreciative student yes she is she's about average in her class but she tries hard maybe she's right maybe the school will organize something i wouldn't bet on it why not not pessimistic enough for you maybe a grin but seriously though everyone's too busy with getting by right now imagine someone traipsing around the town from door to door setting up a school that most of the kids would skip out on anyway no either we get back online or the situation continues as it is in which case everyone will have more than enough to worry about without thinking of school besides even if they overcame these obstacles there's the fear of the pandemic online work and teaching are so much a part of the infrastructure now that it's becoming more and more difficult to go back to how things were just like we can't simply go back to the conditions of the industrial revolution when the power fails and this was right 
The power cut came at the worst possible time. Ten years ago, we weren't nearly as dependent on the internet, and even six months ago there was no pandemic. Even before the solar storm, a week ago people were already struggling to stay afloat. And that's not how you want to be feeling at the very beginning of the biggest crisis the world has seen since World War II. Where a country of unemployed, insecure, internet-dependent, underachieving people with mental health issues and the pandemic just intensified this. Maybe Mrs Davies was right, and we should get out while we have the chance. I've had enough of this. But you know I'm right. Exactly. Alfred saw that Martin just needed some silence and he let him have it. They just stopped one more time on the way home, for Alfred to take a copy of a flyer they had seen all around town. They arrived back to find the flat surprisingly quiet, and then they remembered. Dorian was on his inspiration-gathering tour, absorbing the spirit of the town, as he had put it. They arrived back to find the flat surprisingly quiet, and then they remembered. Dorian was on his inspiration-gathering tour, absorbing the spirit of the town, as he had put it. The rest of the day passed uneventfully and reflectively, the latter being especially true of Martin. Dorian returned after nightfall and put an end to that.